not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called God, son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me. As you have said. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Master, what a great time of year this is. It's a time of giving. And the Bible said, for God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't give a trinket. He didn't even give an expensive gift. He gave his one and only son. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for Mary. Father, not that she was special in a sense that she won some type of contest. But rather she was chosen by you. And she said yes. Thank you for that simple yet powerful truth. And I pray that as we look at this section of your word this morning and are reminded of her, Lord, and her faithfulness. It all comes back to you because you are the center of it all, Lord Jesus. I pray that as we look at your truth, speak to our hearts, we welcome and invite you, Holy Spirit. May we be open to you. In your name we pray. Amen. A lot of times as we think about hope, We think about it in the immediate future. Or we think about it in regard to uh, a simple aspect of hope. Instead of the bigger picture of of really having hope. Hope that lasts and hope that matters. Uh, Max Lucado in his book God Came Near says it like this. uh, People, what they say in regard to hope. We were hoping the doctor would release him. Or... I had hoped to pass the exam. Or we had hoped the surgery would get all the tumor. Or I thought the job was in the bag. But Lucado continues, Our problem's not so much that God doesn't give us what we hope for as it is that we don't know the right thing for which to hope. And guys, this morning as we come together, there is hope in the air. There is hope among us. Not because of what we have done or one of our relatives have done, but because of Jesus. And as we look at this section of Scripture, uh, in verse 26, it starts out, it says, of the sixth month. In the sixth month of what? Well, go back to verse 5 and we learn about that. In the time of 
Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They were a God-fearing couple. They loved the Lord. They weren't preachy. They weren't hard to be around or get to know. It says in verse 7, though, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. They were a godly couple who knew what it was like to hurt because what they wanted was to be able to conceive and to bear a child and to be parents. And for whatever reason, Elizabeth's womb was closed. And there was a lot of... There was a lot of pain there. And I want to take just a moment, even before I go on here, because um, I have known people, uh, and you have too, who know what this is like. You know, they really want to be parents. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. And uh, I was looking through some blogs. You know, man, you find everything online. And, and I found a couple of blogs I wanted to read. Because just like this uh, monologue, I thought of connecting it real people where they are. And I read these real quick. Uh, this lady writes, Hi, I'm 45 years old. I'm learning to accept the fact that there will be no kids in my future. I know some people say live through other people's kids. But I just can't. It's the feeling of wanting your own. My husband and I are a little bit selfish, and we accept that if God didn't want us to have kids, not blaming God, we understood. So we're making changes in our lives without kids. Although sometimes when I go out and see other kids, I don't know whether to feel angry, more like fed up, because I feel like people are throwing their kids in my face and saying, nah, nah, you can't have one of these. Or to feel sad because I don't know how it feels like to have a kid of my own. Does anyone feel the same way? And a response from a, a blogger who refers to herself as grace alone. Yes, I believe many of us feel the same way. It took me a long time to accept my loss. And after nearly 17 years, I still have sad feelings occasionally when I see babies and know that I'll never have one. I don't have them as often as I used to. Time and aging's taught me how to deal with these emotions when they do occur, especially since they pop up when least expected. I believe we will all have to deal with this for the rest of our lives because not having children has shaped our lives. The sting of the pain of loss does fade with the passage of time. <laughs> this was Zechariah and Elizabeth's world. But in an instance here, God, he reveals a plan. And as we read in the scripture here, uh, verse 8, it tells us that Zechariah, he was a priest and it was his turn to serve in the temple with the incense. And so he goes into the temple of the Lord to burn the incense. And, and look at verse 10 here. It says, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. I don't know if I'd ever noticed that, guys. But isn't that just like God? Whenever you see God about to reveal himself and to show his power, there's people praying somewhere. And I never really paid a lot of attention to this, but it says right there that the worshipers, they were outside and they were praying. They were saying, oh, 
pastor, I want to see Messiah. I want, I want hope. I, I want you to send the promised one. I, I, want, I, I need that God to send the one that you have promised to come and to be among us. Verse 11, we read the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And, and, and if you remember in the scripture, Zechariah, he, the, the angel comes to him and, and he says that your wife is going to have a son. And, and, and there's this fear and, and, and all of this struggle. In verse 14, he says, he'll be a joy and he'll be a delight to you. And he, he describes this boy and it says, Zechariah has his doubts down in verse 18. How can this be? And the angel says, you know, I just, you don't need to talk till this baby's born. It's so, he, he doesn't talk till the baby's born. And now we know that this baby is John the Baptist. He's the guy that's the forerunner of Jesus, the, the cousin of Jesus Christ. But that wasn't Gabriel's only job. He not only appeared to Zechariah. He not only appeared to Elizabeth. But evidently one of his big jobs was to reveal God's future plan. To reveal God's work. And so we come down to verse 26. That sixth month is talking about. This is how much time has passed. As little John the Baptist is kicking in Elizabeth's womb. And it's time once again for an angel to be sent. And so the angel is sent again to Mary. I'll read to you. This is from Frederick Buechner. And he writes a little piece imagining what must have gone through Gabriel's mind when he was sent to this girl, Mary. She struck the angel Gabriel as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he'd been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named and who he was to be and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You must not be afraid, Mary, he said. As he said it, he only hoped she would notice that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung now on the answer of a girl. Notice it tells us God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee. There was nothing special about Nazareth. Nothing that stood out that, that, that made it a special place. You know, some towns have a bad reputation. That's a dangerous place. You wouldn't want to be caught out there at night. It's not safe. Some towns are, well, that's just a hole in the ground. Or I remember once, one town I passed through, guys, I guess you'd consider it a town, it was crazy. One side of the sign said, welcome to the town. The other side said, now leaving the town. I mean, that's a town. Just a small, insignificant place. Uh, but, but Nazareth, it wasn't a special place that stood out. Quite honestly, in that day, it was a dump. It, it, it was just a little stop in the road for, for a traveler to go on their way to somewhere else. That was Nazareth. It was away from sophistication. Uh, as I said, I came across this piece in Reader's Digest uh, just to give an example, a little humor of, of how many places are special because people live there, but they don't really stand out. But uh, This particular piece, uh, the guy talks about names from all over the country as he shares uh, in our land. He says, uh, I was holed up in boring Oregon 
wondering whether I should try someplace different. So I hopped in my car and drove to Y, Arizona to figure things out. After a few days, I found my answer in Why Not, Mississippi. I needed a town with some life to it. I made a beeline for Disco, Tennessee, where I danced so much I wore out my shoes. The next day, I headed to Loafer's Glory, North Carolina, for a new pair. Afterward, I looked sharp enough to take a break in handsome Eddie, New York. Eddie wasn't around, but I knew where to find him in Love Ladies, New Jersey, where it seemed that all the women were trying to get to husband Pennsylvania. It was a tough town. One gal told me my romancing needed work and sent me to Sweet Lips, Tennessee. Can you believe these places? Heartbroken, I put the car on cruise control and drove to Lonelyville, New York for a stiff drink. I made a pit stop in the bottle, Alabama, and finally hit rock bottom in Condemn Bar, California. Not surprisingly, I woke up the next morning in Cranky Corner, Louisiana. I knew if I continued like this, I'd be headed straight to Hell, Michigan. Pulling myself together, I grabbed breakfast in Oak Mill, Texas, lunch in Sandwich, Massachusetts, and dessert in Pie Town, New Mexico. I should have stopped eating after greasy Oklahoma because I was feeling pretty sick by the time I left Lick Skillet, Tennessee. In brilliant Ohio, it finally dawned on me. I had to cease my wandering ways. I parked in Dewstop, Kentucky, took out the map, and chose my new home. I didn't need wealthy Texas or famed West Virginia. I found everything I needed in Happy Land, Oklahoma. This was not a significant place. But there was something significant to happen there. And, and uh, a couple of things here that, that we learn. Uh, look at verse 27 as there's two truths we learn. In this place, uh, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So the first thing that we learn is that this girl, Mary... Is a virgin. That she's never been sexually involved with a man. Uh, turn back Matthew chapter 1 verse 16. As the text breaks down. The genealogy. The, the record of descendants. And uh, when it gets to Joseph. It says in Jacob the father of Joseph. The husband of Mary. Whom was born Jesus. Who is called Christ. Notice it it doesn't say here to the father of Jesus. But the husband of Mary. Because he was not the father of Jesus. The Messiah. And then even you go down to verse 18. A couple of verses drop down. It says this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So the scripture actually tells us, gives us this picture. She, she, she was a virgin. And even uh, in Luke one thirty four, in our text here, even uh, Mary says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The second thing we learn is that she was engaged. She was pledged to be married and uh, in that culture, in that day, a couple would go to the temple and they would uh, receive a, a document, a license, they'd fill out the forms, and they would uh, actually be considered married for a year, although they would not live together. But it was considered more than what, you know, we just consider uh, engagement. It's more than, you know, you're just in a park, you get a ring, everybody's, you know, sweaty and... You know, 
you know, celebrating and all that. It, it was it was more than that and could only be dissolved. Not by breakup, but by actual divorce. Um, and the ages are also interesting. Um, Mary's hand spoken of by Joseph. Uh, and they found this through some of the tombstones in the area trying to figure out the you know, normal age people would live to uh, normal life expectancy. And it's pretty common for the guys to die at age 35. 35. It's pretty young. And so because of that, often, uh, you know, girls would become mothers 13, 14 years old at the time they're first able to. And because dying at 35, you know, you don't, you know, some people, you know, have this picture of Joseph like he was 75, 85, 95 years old. I don't think so. More than likely, he was not a lot older than her. Maybe 18 to early 20s. But, but this young couple, they, they, they came together and, and, and for this purpose, there wasn't, there wasn't that huge of an age gap. Uh, notice back to Luke 1, uh, verse 28, it says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It struck her as this angel came before her. And, and we don't know exactly what this It doesn't describe the appearance of this angel, uh, uh, this majestic being, this messenger of God. I know in Isaiah 6, wow. When it describes the angel, this beautiful scene where where it talks about the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And and then we have this picture of of an angel and it says uh, above him were seraphs, each with six wings, two wings. They covered their faces, two covered their feet and two they were flying. And and uh, in this case, they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, all earth full of his glory. And it says the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And instantly Isaiah, he was afraid because he thought of his sin. He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And so as Mary was in the presence of this messenger of God, she must have just really felt in, inferior and broken. And, 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 and God, I'm not deserving of you being in my presence. I, I'm not deserving to hear from, from this angel. And And... What must have gone through her mind? And, and it wasn't the fact that she was highly favored and that she stood out and she had such great credentials. It was that God simply picked her. He chose her. The angel said, you're highly favored. God looked at her heart. God handpicked her. And, and notice the message down in verse 31. He says, you'll conceive, you'll give birth to a son. and You're calling him Jesus and he'll be great. And called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Has she heard this as a, as a young Jewish? All this, all, all this message pointed to, that's Messiah. Oh my. That's what this is. I'm to carry the Messiah. How, the, the great one. The one who will rule forever. <laughs> and, and then she was just so honest. You know that honest question. Verse 34. How can this be? I hadn't been with a man. How is this going to happen? And look at verse 35. And I want you to notice that. 
the Trinity is mentioned here in verse 35. The angel answered, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High, that's the Father, will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. As God himself would do this work, as God himself would carry forth this incredible miracle. And in verse 36, he said, he mentions Elizabeth. Remember Elizabeth, you know, with this feeling, how can this be? How can this be done? And Elizabeth, remember, she was the barren one. She was the one who could not have children. And and your relative, Elizabeth, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. And I love that verse 37, for nothing is ever impossible with God. So let's take this out of the realm of, does this make sense? And just remember that, what can God not do? He's God. Um, I love uh, verse 37 in the uh, Amplified Bible, as it uh, so beautifully says, um, for nothing is ever impossible with God. And no word from Him shall be without power. Or impossible of fulfillment. As she's looking, she's got the right perspective. She's got the right view. <laughs> she's not looking at the circumstances merely as we understand them. She's looking at God. And 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 guys, that makes all the difference as she shares, as she's looking at God. Um, and worshiping. And, and notice her heart here. She says, I'm the Lord's servant, verse 38. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left. Now, three lessons here as I, as I close. Wow, time goes by too quick for a preacher. <laughs> three lessons here. Uh, first, if Mary could speak directly to us, a word of encouragement to anyone who feels like a nobody. Maybe you came from a small town. Maybe you feel like you've never accomplished anything magnificent, any, anything that stands out, anything that's powerful. Maybe there's nothing about you um, that counts. But Mary understood that there's no place, no person that's unimportant to God. Only on earth are people and places considered obscure and insignificant. Never in heaven. Everyone counts in heaven. (laughs) Everything counts in heaven. Because our God is a God who has a plan. Our God is very meticulous in His creation. And he, 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 it matters. You matter. And I believe she would say that. Maybe she wasn't famous before in her own town. That didn't matter. She was precious to God. And so are each of us. Um, I read a news, uh, heard of a news story once of a woman who was going to jump off a 44-story building in New York City. And a pastor came and tried to talk to her. And uh, this woman was well-dressed, and, and uh, she stood at the edge of the building. She's getting ready to jump off, and the pastor comes, and he walks right up to her, and, and he says to her, I'm sorry that you believe no one loves you. And she was kind of taken aback, and she, she said, don't get any closer. We said, no, wait a minute. She said, I, I didn't say that. I have eight grandchildren. They love me. I love them. Um, I didn't say that. Nobody loved me. He said, well, then you must be very poor. Maybe that's why you want to take your own life, because you're, you're poor. And she looked down and said, I'm a little overweight. And said, I have plenty to eat, so I'm not poor. That's not the issue. Do I look like I go without you know, any meals? And We live in a nice apartment. I'm not poor. So then the pastor walked a little bit closer, and he said, then why do you want to kill yourself? I don't understand. 
And the woman thought for a moment and said, you know, I don't remember either. <laughs> and he, they walked off that ledge together. And then she started showing him pictures of her grandkids. And what happened there? What did he do that made the difference? He helped her get her eyes off of herself and her circumstances and to see the blessings that she had. To be able to look beyond the moment and to see the master. And that is such a valuable lesson, guys. Second, um, she would speak to you who doubt. To those of us who would say that's impossible or that's improbable or that can never happen. And and Mary would say, you know, I know you think your struggle is impossible, but it's not beyond God's help. It's not beyond his intervention. It's not beyond what he can do. (laughs) This... uh, Probably 13, 14 year old young lady would say, for with God, nothing's ever impossible and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. Maybe you just need to be reminded. Sometimes we all do, don't we? John Bunyan, uh, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, once said, be careful not to shut your soul's door through doubt when God has just opened it by his grace. Not slamming it shut by doubt when maybe he's opened it by grace. And then thirdly, um, she might say to you, uh, trust God. I know there's maybe high risk involved here, but trust God. It is worth it. Um, You know, it's interesting. Mary's parents are never mentioned in the scripture. Was she an orphan? I don't know. Did she, what kind of talks did she have with her cousin Elizabeth? Who I'm sure she loved and respected and, you know, godly lady. We don't know. We don't know about the difficulties in Nazareth. It's hard to believe, knowing how people are, that there weren't some gossips. And, Did you hear about Mary? She's starting to show. What's that about? You know, there had to be some difficult times for her. <coughs> Maybe she didn't know the fullness of the days that were ahead. And sometimes in the moment, you can just be so broken that you forget that there's blessing ahead. And you just you just see that moment and you get lost in that moment and you need to trust the great I am. But it seems like all you can think of is where I am. And, and Mary would say, hold on. Trust him as best you can. Seek to understand. I close with this. I know I'm over time. But uh, this guy uh, named George Shearer wrote this. Uh, he said, I discovered the chipmunks while stopping at a scenic overlook in Rocky Mountain National Park, Colorado. They were amazing. Bravely coming right up to people to take food out of their hands. These little creatures had willingly changed their lifestyle. They set aside their previous fear of humans in order to receive something essential to their existence. Food. They were not afraid of my hand because my hand fed them. And so they allowed their lives to be radically changed in order that they might be fed by this hand. We too should be like these chipmunks. Where we were once afraid of that nail-pierced hand that was extended to us. We now know that it's the very hand that feeds us and gives us life. And so like the chipmunks, we've allowed our lives to be radically changed in order that we might be truly blessed by his hand. A chosen chipmunk. (laughs) George Shearer. As we look to Mary, what was special about her? She said, Lord, here I am. I don't deserve, but may it be as you say. 
It's a call of Christmas. God did it all, and he just says, hey, come in all your weakness, come in all of your doubt, and just receive my gift. Trust in my grace and know my heart. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this is a time we call invitation. It's a time we call response. You know us. Lord, uh, what do you want of us, Lord? This is Christmas. (laughs) This is the time where you've come and you've called. And you want us to hear. And you want us to receive. And maybe there's something you want us to give. Father, I pray that you would simply speak to our hearts in this time. And that we would say yes to your, your call, your message. And as we stand to sing, may we come to the altar to pray if you call us. May we make a decision where we are or come to share with your people a decision. It's all about listening to you and and agreeing with you, whatever that may be. So do that, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.